because I'm usually dealing with entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and they're creating videos for their business, there's a couple of steps that we do that make it a lot easier for them to face up to the confidence piece. So we actually, like the program that I run is a nine-step program. We don't actually get to confidence until step six. Okay. Wow. And the reason is because so often we have to deal with the logic first. We have to convince ourselves before we can trip the mindset piece. Welcome to Let's Not Sugarcoat It, a podcast about the real, raw, and unfiltered side of motherhood. We're your hosts, Bella, Alex, and Amy. Let's get into it, ladies. Okay, let's get into it, ladies. Today, we are talking to Valerie McTavish. Valerie helps business owners use content marketing to increase the reach, engagement, and sales. Oh, she speaks my language. She's especially <laughs> passionate about empowering female entrepreneurs to overcome video resistance so they can get on camera and share their message. She has over 30 years of experience in the media, having worked as an award-winning producer, host, and scriptwriter. In 2006, she started exploring content marketing as a side hustle, and today she used her digital marketing expertise to guide entrepreneurs to clarity, confidence, and consistency they need to scale their online business. She's helped develop lots of video confidence and marketing workshops, as well as comprehensive podcast development and a podcast pivot program. She offers one-on-one custom coaching programs aimed at coaches and consultants looking to design or grow their online uh, course, membership, or group award. And uh, she has another one coming up called AI Powered Video Scripts Workshop. So we're going to pick her brain on that later for sure. But welcome. Wow. Wow. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I always say that's quite the bio and that's amazing that that's a small snippet of who you are. (laughs) Yeah. Quite the bio. Yeah. 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 That's the, that's the polish out front. (laughs) Well, like, and Amy usually says, I'll be Amy today. She usually says, now that we had the snippet, you know, tell us more about, about you. Oh my gosh. Where do I start? Yeah. Um, From the beginning. Yeah. (laughs) When you were born. No, no. (laughs) Yeah. About you and how you got to where you're into now, what you're doing now. Yeah. Yeah, so I knew from a very early age that I wanted to be in the media. I was one of those kids who had a TV for a babysitter. (laughs) So I was obsessed with television from a very early age, went to school to study communication and quickly realized that they don't mean television. (laughs) So after I got through all the theory, I marched myself into my local cable station and I said, hello, I have a communications degree and I would like my own TV show, please. (laughs) And they said, ha ha ha, go volunteer for a year and learn everything you can and then come back to us. So I stuck it out and I, I stayed at that as a volunteer and was still going to school. And I started my own TV show about the university that I was going to, Simon Fraser University, and um, actually turned it into a credit course. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> and so that was the beginning of my television career was basically just demanding that someone let me do what I wanted to do. Um, and uh, the tenacity has kind of carried me through from then on. Um And that has resulted in me working in live broadcasting, produced the morning news, did some magazine shows, done some short films, uh, worked in advertising, got, uh, had a lot of fun working in average. First I worked in documentary and then I was like, okay, I'm tired of begging for money. I'm going to go work for an ad agency (laughs) and just be like, yeah, this is the idea. And um, I'm going to need a million (laughs) dollars. So it was a lot of fun to to make that shift and to do some big budget stuff. Um, And then worked in software and went back to television, did some, some more news stuff. And then went from there into digital marketing. 
Mm, nice. Wow, that's quite the journey. <laughs> um, and and I'm sure that, you know, in all of those, you've probably learned, I mean, so much each of those facets, right? Absolutely. But, you know, it it all comes down to really the same principle, which is people love stories mm-hmm. and connecting. Yeah. And, you know, what I learned in television and when I worked in radio as well is that the main thing is people want to feel like they're seen. They're Mm -hmm. watching, but they want to feel seen. They want to feel like the content is for them. And it's the same in radio. I worked, uh, I did backfill work in talk radio. I worked at a station in Vancouver called C-Fun. And at the time, (laughs) it was talk talk radio for women. Mm. And it was literally like you're talking to the listener and practically begging them to phone in. Mm. Right. So you learn really quickly, especially when you're on your own and you don't have a co-host, you learn really quickly what's going to get people to engage, Mm. right? What's going to get people excited enough to dial the phone, to put themselves out there to like say something. And so you, you have to figure out how do I serve the listener? Yeah. How do I make sure that what I'm talking about is what they want to hear? Yeah. And you're learning in real time because the phone's not ringing. <laughs> so you're, like, you're like, come pivot, on. Pivot, pivot, yeah. pivot. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And so now, uh, Snippet, I know you offer a lot of different things, but what, what are you now working with? You're working with, I know you do in public speaking realm. I know you talk a little bit about with your own offerings. What are, what does that look like? Yeah. So, uh, my business, I run my business with my husband, yes. which a lot of people think is horrifying, but we love it. That's good. <laughs> um, his background is radio. And with my background in television, it was really made a lot of sense for us to be doing content marketing. Yeah, sure. And so um, we have a podcast program where we are, you know, we, I produce, he hosts the podcast that's for podcasters, podcast tips for podcasters <laughs> uh, called Just One Tip from your podcast performance coach, plug, plug, plug. <laughs> and, um, and so from that, we actually support entrepreneurs who are looking to use podcasting as a marketing tool, awesome. right? Um, and so that's, we have two programs there, one where we develop the program for them, make sure it's brand aligned. And the other is when we, I like to say, fix their podcast for them. It's, we call it the podcast tune-up. Because it's basically people who like jumped in, podcasting fun, yay, it's going to be so good for my business. And then like six months later, they're like, it's not good for my business. <laughs> so we help them realign it for their business. Awesome. So that's that's the podcast side of things. On the video side, um, I, help, I, I help companies build out their video marketing strategy. Um, I coach women on getting confident on camera mm. and being really clear on their messaging. And I also do one-on-one coaching in the world of... Um, business clarity when entrepreneurs are feeling really stuck. So a lot of times what will happen is people will come to me for the video stuff and then they'll realize, well, it's hard for me to share my message because I'm not really clear on what I'm doing with my business. So then I can help them sort of clarify what they're doing. And and oftentimes we find how they're leaving money on the table because they haven't really thought their business out beyond a single stream of income. So we look for those opportunities. So you kind of cool. sound like a like a all season type business there. You kind of have all the multi like it's everything in the all your business needs in one stop. I, I love it. I <laughs> yeah. love it. I I can't help myself. I mean, yeah. we help people niche. Yeah. And and I try to niche, but then every once in a while someone comes back and is I'm like, "Yeah, no, of course. I'm going to help you because what you're doing is awesome and I want to be a part of it." So 
Yeah. Very cool. So speak to the uh, confidence piece. I know that that's one of the things that you really are passionate about and work too. So tell us a little bit about what that looks like and what you're finding in in people that that maybe is lacking or where that where the need for that is. Yeah. So my interest in confidence came really from the video side of things where I was re- discovering that women were resisting the idea of getting on camera, even though all the statistics say that, you know, video is a great way to market your business, mm-hmm. right? It creates that, that connection because people can see you, they can hear you. It builds the trust quicker than say reading a newsletter or a post on social media, even more so than a photo because it tends to be more authentic, That's right? It's keep saying. and we're doing it (laughs) you know it's really easy to add the filters to those and and really edit the photos but it's a lot harder to show up on a consistent basis and fake it so showing up authentically on video is a really powerful way Mm -hmm. to to grow your business and and build brand loyalty especially if you're a solo entrepreneur if you're a personal brand Mm -hmm. and so I was really excited about sharing video marketing with people and and wanting to help women get comfortable and and using this tool. And I kept running up against people not wanting to do it. Mm. And this was when I was really focused originally on just helping people grow their digital businesses. And I was helping female entrepreneurs start courses and do launches and all of those good things um, that don't make people stressed out at all. (laughs) Um, and so I was I was really in that realm and then saying to them, well, you got to do video, you got to do video, you got to do video. And they kept coming back with excuses, reasons not to, right? I don't know what to say. I don't know where to start. I don't know what kind of equipment I should be using. Um, I'm never going to be good enough at it. All of this stuff was kind of coming back. And I kept really realizing that this needed to be its own system. They needed to see what the steps were to build up that video confidence. Mm. And then I realized there was a problem. (laughs) (laughs) I would have to be on video if I was going to be a video coach. (laughs) And Ah. even though I had been, you know, I'd done fill-in work on camera, I'd been live multiple times. I, you know, produced television. I knew all about the equipment. I knew all of the pieces. When it actually came down to it, I was afraid to get on camera. Wow. I was really terrified. And you'd been preaching this all yeah. the time. So the how did you time. get over it? That's yeah. Well, this was the thing is that I had to kind of really dig deep and get into what was causing this. Mm. And I realized that even though on the outside and ask anyone, they'll tell you, Valerie, she's a confidence girl. She's confident. Even as a kid, people thought I was confident, but that was the shell, Ah. right? I I still was dealing with so much of the conditioning that we have as women Mm -hmm. to not be confident. So I had to really dig into that. I had to do some deep excavating. Right. <laughs> Which is always fun and easy. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's easy. Yeah. Like Take a day. Ha- half a yeah. day, yeah. half a day, a couple she hours. She was good to go yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, rock solid. <laughs> um, and so that was that's where I started to really become interested in confidence and, and talking to people about confidence and really working with people on their confidence in general, but also as it relates to video. Right. Because... It's one thing to, you know, a lot of people can admit that they're not confident in video, but it also, we don't even realize that it seeps through 
as entrepreneurs or even if we're mm-hmm. in the workforce. Yeah. The data is there. It shows that a big piece of the wage gap that still exists is because of the confidence gap. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, because you know, there's this guy that I do quite a bit of work with and there's another guy who's very senior, a junior, and he's always like, so-and-so is just so amazing at his job. He's so good at his job. And I'm like, you know what he is? He is confident as hell. Like he just comes Mm -hmm. across as like, don't mess with this guy. He knows what he's doing, but it's his confidence. If he wasn't confident... That other guy wouldn't think that, I don't think. Like, he's he's good at his job. But I can see what you're saying, that sometimes that's such a... We kind of value that in men and, like, the confidence that they have. And as women, we're almost like, as young kids, you're like, don't be egotistical or whatever. Like, right? And we use negative words when women are confident, confident yeah. as young kids. And then it turns... It, it's like we support it in the males and then not in the females in a way. Absolutely. I mean, the language we use for women or little girls, Mm -hmm. let's be real here, is so different from what we use for little boys and for men, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, where did bossy come from? Exactly. When has anyone, like, described a guy as bossy? Right. Yeah. Or a little like, boy yeah. is so bossy. Yeah. yeah. He right. knows what he wants. He knows what he wants, wants right? Like, he's going to go yes. out there and get it, yeah. right? Yeah. But for the girls, you're right. Yeah. Like don't be deep bossy. bossy. Yeah. Be a good Don't girl. be so yeah. full of yourself. Oh, yeah. You talk yeah. too much. Yeah. Don't or show somebody. off. Yeah. Don't be a show off. Nobody mm. likes a know-it-all. Yeah. 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 Right? I mean, these things, I hope they're all flooding back to you, right? Mm-hmm. We just look at what just happened when we open that up. Yeah. And it's because we've been hearing it our whole lives. Yeah. Little boys don't hear that. No, they don't. Right? And so Interesting. you moms, right? This is this is the challenge of this generation is to end it here. Yeah. Right? I, you know, my generation, my mom had challenges too. You know, she was taught certain things from her her parents' generation. And that was corrected in a generation. Like mm-hmm. my grandparents, God rest their souls. They were egotist. They were racist, mm-hmm. misogynistic. Like that was the way it was. That was the generation, yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. And so my mom's generation, you know, they really had this idea that little boys and little girls are different and that girls should behave a certain way. Yeah. Right? The there kitchen. was behavior that girls could engage in that was shameful. Yeah. Embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Right? That we should be ashamed of ourselves. I literally heard that as a kid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Think about that. Yeah. Right? But that was the way that it was. That's how people parented back then. Yeah. Yeah. So it takes a lot to unearth that. Yeah. And get past it. Yeah. And and be able to show up confidently without second guessing it. Yeah. Even now, when we show up confidently, we second guess it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? You yeah. can show up really confidently and think to yourself... Is someone thinking that I'm full of myself? Yeah. Is this hitting the wrong way? Yeah. Are we, is this person going to talk badly about me after this? Right. Yeah. Right. The fear of gossip. Yeah. Right. The fear of judgment. Yeah. Huge pieces of what we had growing up as little girls, teenagers. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what a nightmare. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like the in crowd, the out crowd, having yeah. the right outfit, having the right clothes, being the right size. Mm-hmm. All of those things are still part of our coming of age. So they're still part of how we think of ourselves 
and how we judge ourselves. And when we look in the mirror and we say, oh, I can't wear this. I know I do that all the time. But, <laughs> but, but then it's funny because I do have uh, female friends who are so confident in their body types and shape. I'm just like, oh my gosh, I wish I could be like that because I think there is a bit of a shift now. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, we were raised a certain way, but like you said, there is that generation, like we're trying to correct that. Mm -hmm. So that now I do feel like more women are empowered and that language is changing. Mm -hmm. Even for us, for me, I'm, you know, really trying to think about the, sometimes it comes up obviously because I was raised the way I was raised. Conditioning, yeah. yeah, right. So, but I am, I'm trying to be a little bit more aware of the language that I'm, because I have two little girls. So I don't want them, like they're so confident in their bodies. They're so confident in, mm. you know, speaking and doing all this stuff. So I am encouraging that, but I'm also trying to deal with my own crap that I haven't dealt with in that aspect because of that conditioning that you've, you're talking about. Mm -hmm. yeah, so Absolutely. And it's going to be an ongoing thing for a while, I think, mm -hmm. because it has been such a difference between males and females for so long. For so long. So then how, if you're working with a client and you have somebody facing, say, the, the lack of confidence for the video, how do you help them overcome that per mm -hmm. se and move towards that confidence? Because I'm usually dealing with entrepreneurs mm -hmm. and they're creating videos for their business, there's a couple of steps that we do that make it a lot easier for them to face up to the confidence piece. So we actually, like the program that I run is a nine-step program. We don't actually get to confidence until step six. Okay. Wow. And the reason is because so often we have to deal with the logic first. We have to convince ourselves before we can trip the mindset piece. Mm. So what we do first is the foundational stuff. We, we work on the clarity around their business. We, we, we make sure that they feel confident in their business first before they feel confident showing up on mm. video. So that's huge, Valerie. It's so big and, yeah. and so many people skip it, right? And and this is how we do it to ourselves, right? Because we see other people on social media and we're like, oh, well, that looks like they, it's so easy for them. Yeah, they got it right? all together. I just, I just have to jump in. I just have to do it, yeah. right? And I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna create fake, I'm gonna go Facebook Lives for 30 days straight or I'm gonna do reels. And it's painful for them, right? Because they're floundering. Yeah. And so when you build that solid foundation of you know, knowing what your goal is, what are your intentions with video? Why are you even doing video? Yeah. Who are you talking to? I mean, one of the biggest things that hurts people when it comes to video confidence is they do a video and they get terrible resp response from it. Well, it's because they've created the video without thinking about their audience mm -hmm. or they're putting their videos in the wrong places, mm -hmm. right? And so knowing who you're talking to is going to inform where those videos go. Right? right. And yeah, how yeah. long those videos are going to be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of the same with podcasting, right? Like you have to think about who's listening yeah. to determine whether it's a five minute podcast or a 30 minute podcast or an hour long podcast. Yeah. Right. Are they cleaning the house? Are they doing the dishes? Are they walking the dog? Are they, on, are they commuting? Or is this their five minute pump up before they walk out the door? Yeah. Right. So this is, this is what's really important about understanding who you're talking to. And then you can create that strategy around where you're going to publish, what you're going to publish, the style of video you're going to create and the kind of messaging that you want. Yeah, for sure. Right? Getting clear on that messaging is so key because now you've shifted the focus from, hey, I've got this thing to say to, hey, my audience needs to hear this. Yeah. 
that paradigm shift. It's everything. Yeah. Right? It's getting out of your own way, really. Exactly. Yeah. And it's it's remembering that it's not about you. Yeah. Right? Your business isn't about you. Your message Big. isn't about you. Yeah. It's for someone. Yeah. Right? Your business is to help someone else solve a problem. Yeah. So when you can remember who it's for and why you're doing it, that makes it so much easier to show up because if someone doesn't want it, they don't need it, that's fine. Yeah. Right? You think Canadian Tire cares when someone walks by because they don't have dresses? <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> my gosh, that's such a good I analogy. No, that's so funny. That's so true. No, oh, I mean, so that, I, I love what you're saying. And it reminds me of how um, I had, when I first started copywriting, there was this woman who I thought was like, the expert copywriter, and I loved everything about her, and I just wanted to learn from her. And one of the things she taught me was that every time she sat down, and her specialty was email marketing, she's like, I sit down and I hear that person, like a voice in my head, first of all, who I'm writing in the voice of, and then I picture somebody who I'm speaking to, and I write directly to that person because every single piece of advertising, you want to feel like, that person is the only person you're speaking to, that target, that person in your audience. And then, so I thought that was cool. She would just get in people's head. Absolutely. <laughs> you got to be able to picture your ideal customer. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. You've got to be able to understand, and this is a big one. What does the problem feel like? We so often talk about what's the problem you're solving. And we talk about it on a really surface level. Yeah. Right? Totally. But when you can feel what that problem is, when you can understand the emotion in that problem, then you can communicate in a much different way, Yeah, right? Because you can put yourself in that person's shoes and you can picture them, Yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. I would say too, um, you know, coming back to the confidence piece for me, when I first started doing, getting on video, I was always, you know, I'd think, oh, my hair is not good today, so I'm not going to do it. Or, oh, you know what? I didn't mind like my makeup, but then the more I started doing it, and then I realized when I look at people's social media, I am not looking at your hair and makeup. I am not looking at what your clothes are. And I think people point out like, oh, I have a role or, you know, I'm not looking at that and neither is anybody else. So we get so tripped up on that. And I just finally realized like, I'm going to go on regardless of what my hair looks like because it's a message versus, you know, it'd be one thing if I was like, this is what you should look like. Then that's a different story. <laughs> but, mm. Well, and, and you know, because you do hair, yes. it's such a big thing, right? I had the yeah. same, that was part of my confidence issue with video was like, if I show up on video and I'm not perfect on video, how, yeah. how can I call myself a video coach if my videos don't look perfect? Yeah. Right? I was still caught up in that whole perception. Yeah. Instead of, which is, I say now, it's your message, not your mug. Right. right? Oh, which that's is good. like focus on what you're sharing, not on how you look. If you spent as much time remembering who you're talking to, how it feels and how this message is going to impact them as you do making sure your mascara is perfect or curling your hair or whatever, you would have this message cut through. Yeah. I was working with this company once and um, we were, this was earlier in the day when we were actually producing videos and doing content. And we had a three-part strategy for them. We had high-level produced videos, um, which was like a two-camera shoot in a studio, the whole deal. And then we had sort of social media videos, which were a little bit more kind of like, you know, animated graphics and produced sort of socials. And then I trained their staff to do lives, Mm. right? And so one member of their staff would go live every week. 
And so after six months of executing the strategy, we always come back and take a look at it, look at the analytics, what's working, what's not working, we tweak. Oh my gosh, the most expensive videos did the worst. Ah. The social videos were right in the middle and the best videos, best engagement, best, highest views, most action from them were these lives where their staff screwed up all the time, you know, and they were uncomfortable. I, you know, like they, it was so real yeah. that it's people relatable. tune in and it's relatable. Humanizing yeah. right? them in a way yeah. too. Yeah. And that's, <clears throat> that's what people need. They need to know that the person they're getting to know is a real human. person. It's a, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because that's who we want to be related to. That's who we want to trust. That's how we trust. Yeah. Because we know that they are like us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So, okay. So um, going back to earlier, we were talking about um, not looking perfect and so on and so forth. Is it, okay, a big company, you're doing this project, people are relating to, but let's say you're, you're, you're selling hair or makeup, right? Showing up with like your hair all over, teaching people how to do hair or talking about like, doesn't that send the wrong message? Because yeah, we don't always look perfect, but if my business is doing hair, I personally, if I go to a hair salon and I I get somebody whose hair looks like crap, I'm not confident in that person, right? (laughs) So (laughs) is it always like, you know, because we, we're real raw and unfiltered just because, you know, we're not selling a business. We're right. just, you know, creating a space for us to be open and honest and, you know, dig deep into, you know, our stuff. But when you are a business, you know, selling makeup and you're, you know, this makeup artist who's supposed to be teaching you stuff and you look like crap, doesn't that send the wrong message? It really depends. This is, we're getting into strategy now, right? Yeah. Because what we're talking about is your brand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so your brand is multifaceted. You, mm-hmm. for example, let's talk about someone who does hair. If you want, you know, let's face it. Our hairdressers are people we sit in their chair for hours and the conversations are all over the place. We talk yeah. about all kinds of things. Our hairdressers know about our families. They know about our partners. They know about our vacations. They know about all of those things. Right. And sometimes we know about those things with them too. Like it's Mm -hmm. usually a friendship that develops with a hairdresser. So here's the thing in the strategy, you're going to want to have times when you show up and you look like you know what you're doing with hair. Mm -hmm. Right. Whether that's showing someone else's hair that you've just done that looks really great, showing what you do with your own hair, how you maintain your hair. That's part of the strategy. That's part of the professional representation of the brand. Yeah. But it doesn't end there, right? People don't go to hairdressers just because they get great hair. They go to hairdressers for the experience. Yeah. Yeah. So you might want to see them at home with their kid and their hair not perfect. Exactly right. Yeah. And and also, you know, not with all the makeup on. on. Yeah. They can, and that, you know, the things that they see when they, that they hear about when they sit in the chair are things they saw on social, mm-hmm. right? Whether it was the vacation, whether it was the kids, whether it was the boating day, whatever it was, right? And nobody expects perfect hair in those circumstances. Mm-hmm. It would be unrealistic and inauthentic. Yeah. So there's a way for you to show up authentically, but also to maintain that professional presence and uphold your brand. So we all just need brand strategists is really what I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, we all have kids and uh, 
you chose not to. So let's dig deep into that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because we uh, first time I ever came across a woman who was really like dedicated. I know it's completely squirreled over here. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to really like talk about yes. it, right? Um, is my husband's auntie. Uh, she chose, she never wanted, she knew at a young age, she never wanted kids. And I wasn't sure if I wanted kids because I never had that parental gene. Um, and we did the in vitro and a struggle. And at one point I'm like, if this doesn't work, I'm done and I'm okay with it. And I was okay, but my mom wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Grandparents so, were not. No, they were totally not Polish. You know, you <laughs> must have the children. Um, so how how did like, because you said that people just stopped asking you about that. <laughs> right? So tell me a little bit more about your decision. And because there's a lot of women that choose now not to have children. Mm. I, I hear a lot of it like more. But back in the day, it wasn't something that was you know, looked upon as, oh, it's your choice. It's your body. You know, we as women are meant to make the babies, look after the husbands and all that kind of stuff. So, And how many women had kids that maybe cho- didn't we want to have, and weren't maternal, or right? Yeah. Kids, right? Yeah. And they regret that decision, yes. but nobody, you know, chastised like, Chastise. them, yeah, gotcha. them uh, or makes them feel like, you know, wrong for it. So yeah. how did you navigate that? I knew from a, a really early age that, motherhood wasn't for me Mm -hmm. from a very early age. Um, And and sometimes I felt like I was being selfish because it was like, I just want my life to be my own. That's fair. Uh, And other times I felt like it was being selfless because what I really felt was that I I love adventure. I love change. Mm -hmm. I love doing a million different things. I love travel. And I did not imagine, I couldn't imagine what it would be like to have a child and have the child be second to that, right? I really have so much respect for motherhood that I was like, if I'm not all in, I don't think it's fair to a child to do that. Yeah. So it was a tough choice. I have to tell you, I, you know, um, I was after university, I was in, involved with a man who I thought I was going to be with forever. We had many conversations about not having kids. And then one day he came back, he, he just kind of like confessed, like, I've had a change of heart. Oh, wow. I think I want to have kids. And I can't tell you what it's like to be so committed to not having kids that you're prepared to let someone you love walk away. Wow. Mm. But I had to because I knew he couldn't stay with me and always have this desire. And I wasn't, I wasn't going to have kids for him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, resent would be built on either side. It's not fair to any child either. Yeah. Right. It's huge. So, so that was tough. And, and, you know, luckily we're amazing communicators, great friends, and it was great for both of us because he ended up with someone fabulous Mm -hmm. and has kids and like the whole deal and he's so happy. And I met my husband as a result of being single and I couldn't be happier because he was my match and Mm -hmm. he, you know, and I'm very happy about it. But even he wasn't sure. Mm. It took us seven years before we got married. Mm. And in fact, (laughs) he's going to kill me for this story, but... (laughs) um, I, w- I, I told him, I said, like, I don't want you to make this 
commitment just because you don't want to leave me. Yeah. You take as long as you want, but as soon as you want kids, you go. Yeah. Because I can't do that for you. And um, he sort of said, oh, well, maybe we should get married. Maybe we should. And I said, until you're sure. Yeah. He's like, well, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm pretty sure. I'm like, you know what? There's one way to be sure, sure. And it's called a vasectomy. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. And so like I totally ruined the moment. <laughs> it was so romantic. We'd just moved into a house that we'd bought together. It was Halloween night and the door rang and I was like, oh, where is he? So I grabbed the candy bowl, opened the door and he's got on a t-shirt that's like one of those tuxedo shirts. Yeah. yeah. And he proposes at the oh. door, right? And before I could say yes, I was like, He's like, yeah, I'll have the vasectomy. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so it was a proposal for a vasectomy and, and marriage. A marriage. Yeah. Well, I promise you that's probably a unique story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's oh. it's funny because I'm I had I'm PCOS. So getting pregnant, they said, you know, start at 19. And I was not ready at 19. If you ever want to have kids, because it'll be very difficult for you to have children. So when I met my husband. He was still young. I was 25. He was 21. Little different stages of our lives. So before we got like serious, serious, we got serious pretty quickly. I had that conversation really early, like I think three weeks into our dating. I just, what I was like, listen, I need to be upfront. If you want children, I may not be the person for you because this is what I'm going through. So before you commit and we take this any further, you need to be aware that this might be a journey, which it was. Mm -hmm. um, but I gave them that option before we continued. And then three months after we bought a house together. So no, we're <laughs> now, yeah, 15 years this year of marriage. So, you know, and we still, we have the kids, but I was already preparing myself for not having the kids. So I wanted him to be, you know, just like you, fair game. Like I may not, so you need to you're be, in you're, you're yeah. either in on this journey with me or you're not because yeah. I'm not going to get pregnant very quickly. So, and well, then, oh, yeah, sorry, go ahead, no, Alex. I was just going to say, like, how did you navigate to like going through? Was did you feel at times judged by people as say some like, you know, how women like can be judgy? And so, when you're this no. woman, really, you know, <laughs> this woman, this confident woman in business, like, did you feel like people, like you said, people just stopped asking you? So, were people just constantly expecting that you wanted kids or you were one day going to be like, you know what? You were all right. I need kids now. Or, yeah. You know, it's funny because, uh, you know, I didn't always offer up the fact that it was by choice. People would just ask, oh, and so do you have kids? And then um, I would say no. And they would say, oh, well, there's still time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's so presumptive. Yes, yeah. It's so presumptive. And then if I got into a real conversation, I would say, no, I don't want to have kids. I never, and then people would get this look on their face like, oh, that's so sad for you. I'm so sad for you. <laughs> I was like, no, I'd be happy. Like, this is what I want with my yeah. life. And I mean, no child would want to be parented by me. <laughs> <laughs> Doing humanity a service. Exactly. Well, I love so much. I, I give you so much credit, Val, for staying in your power in that regard, because, um, you know, just knowing so fully who you are 
at a young age. That's to me, I'm so remarkable. Um, and I wanted to say that I empathize with that because I feel like, you know, when you're dating, it's always that question of like, so when are you getting married? And then it's kind of like, okay, now you're married. It's like, okay, so when are you guys going to have kids? Mm-hmm. And you know, there's and then time. You're like, when are you going to be grandparents? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I always, I would always say to my mom, especially because she was that generation, I'd say, you don't know. What if that woman just had a miscarriage and yeah. she's going through something and you don't know. And you're like, oh, well, you better hurry up. Time's ticking. You know, it's like, yeah. it's such a horrible question. I think everybody mm-hmm. should just mind their own business. Yeah. Yeah. I think we should outlaw that question for sure. For sure. And, you know, but as I got older and my wrinkles told the, t- the true tale <laughs> of, you know, whether or not I was ever having children, I it was really difficult during the years when all of my friends were having kids because there were so many things that I wasn't a part of and so many um, experiences that I wasn't a part of. And, and, you know, of course, like as a good friend, I'm there, I'm listening, I'm trying to be empathetic and understand, but there was always a piece of it where I just really truly didn't understand. Like I hadn't been in it. I hadn't been through it. So they had other friends that were their kind of mummy friends and that was fine. And then as that sort of like, they got past the sort of diaper and toddler phases and kids, the kids were a little bit more independent. Then I was their favorite friend because <laughs> I was always available, yeah. right? I didn't have to book a, a, a babysitter. I was the one who could like take them out of mummy conversations yeah. and could take them out of, you know, and, and allow them to think beyond being a mom, allow yeah. them to think about, have conversations about their business, mm-hmm. allow them to have conversations about their relationship that didn't have anything to do with their kids. Yeah. And so, you know, that was, that made it a little bit easier mm-hmm. at that point. Did you point. feel like you were being kind of like excluded? Like how did that, because you're not now getting invited to those things because you don't have kids. Because I went through that when I was having a difficulty getting pregnant, everybody was getting pregnant. Um, people didn't, invite me because they didn't want to hurt my feelings because mm. they had kids and I couldn't have kids and so on and so forth, which made it even worse. Like it totally isolated. Not only am I going through the struggle, I can't be around your babies because I like, it was the weirdest thing that people come up with because they think they're doing somebody a service, you know, like, oh, we're, we're making sure she's okay. But in reality, you're really creating this space and isolation of somebody who's going through some stuff, right? Making I've a judgment always, about yeah, how you feel. I always yeah. say, ask, are you okay coming? Are you like, and then let that person make that choice mm-hmm. for themselves instead of thinking for them mm-hmm. and saying, you know, I feel like she will be better there because it's, you know, never assume. Yeah. <laughs> because it, you don't know what the person is going through to be a true friend. Uh, or partner, always ask if they want to be a part of it and let them choose that. So I don't know if you had a similar... No, there were a few times when people would say, oh, we've, you know, we've got this party going on. And then they'd realize that I hadn't been invited. And they'd say, oh, but it's, you know, it's like parents and kids, you wouldn't want to be there. And then I, for just an inch of a second... I'd feel like shut out and then I'd go, no, you know what? I don't want to be there. (laughs) Quite right. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that. I'm going to go out with my friends that are 10 years younger than me. (laughs) 10 years younger, 10 years older. It was great. I always had a, you know, wide range. Yeah. 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 
<laughs> yeah. Well, I know we even used to joke when we would go on holidays and it's like when you go on holidays without your kids, it's like, let's go to the adult pool because why in God's name would we go away from our kids? Like, let's go party like we don't have kids. So you're right. The screaming, the like the kids parties, if you don't, it's you probably were, they were doing you a service for sure. <laughs> <laughs> like I'll send a gift. <laughs> but it would have been nice to have that option. That's all yes. I'm saying, right? So just yeah. be included and then you can choose for yourself whether or not. Because mm-hmm. even for that split second, yeah. you know, there that it, there's an emotion that comes up. It's like, okay, well now I'm, you know, because of my choice, I'm no longer part of this, but you didn't give me that choice. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So just that. Yeah. <laughs> so just that. I think that's probably true in a lot of regards, yeah. right? Like even if someone's lost someone, they just assume, oh, it's going to be hard for them to come. Yeah. And maybe that might actually bring them peace, right? Yeah. So I think yeah. in, you're absolutely right. And in a lot of situations that could be really yeah. helpful is just consider the other person. Yeah. Okay. I guess assuming like you're saying, yeah. you know what they say about it. But right? I assume there's an ass in assume. <laughs> But uh, yeah. Okay, bring oh. it back to the AI. AI. Yeah, let's go yeah, back I was going to say. Well, we just said, do, do, do. Oh, wow. yeah, So tell Sorry, us, like, you were going to talk about, um, <laughs> yeah, how to ethically use AI. You said that was one of your passions mm. right now, right? Yeah. So when, you know, I'm in all of these groups and the conversations are really interesting. And, and I think that, you know, as a society, we should definitely be concerned about what's going on here. Yeah. I think, you know, when AI first came out, one of the programs that I have is called uh, Video Scripts Made Simple. And it's a whole video script formula. And I thought I made it really easy for people to write scripts. And then AI came out and I was like, well, damn, now it is simple. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there goes that. I won't be bothering uh, running any ads for that anymore. Uh, Because I really thought that that was going to be the end of people writing their own scripts. And I think a lot of people are impacted um, people who write for a living, people Mm -hmm. who create content for a living. You know, now Mm -hmm. we're getting into this, just this swamp of excessive amounts of content because people are just using AI for it. Mm. And and so it actually took me a few months of really playing around with it, diving into it, and then a few more months of realizing that other people haven't gone this deep. <laughs> you know, when you get so into something and you're like, you assume everyone has been down the rabbit hole. You're like, oh, okay. There are people safely above the rabbit hole. And that's when I realized that the, there's a huge difference between you know getting AI to just write a script for you or content for you and being really intentional in how that content is created. Right. Not only that, but training AI to mimic your voice. Mm. So it's not writing like someone else. You know, you talked about your yeah. your friend who wrote emails. Getting into someone's voice is a talent. It it takes skill. And it's not what AI is programmed to do. No, I agree with you. That's why I think AI is fun. And I was saying to Ryan, who was like, oh, that when I first tried it, it spit out like these awful blogs, right? These awful blogs that sounded like, um, you know, just a robot. And it was like, why I don't get this. But then as soon as like I went a rabbit hole like you, I dove into it, prompted it, was like, write it more like a young entrepreneur doing whatever. Mm -hmm. And you suddenly start getting these way better quality things coming back at you that actually are you as the marketer asking it to do what you want. You're using your own brain to say, this is how I want it to go. This is what the message is going to be. So it doesn't have to be horrible. It doesn't have to be this awful thing. But I think you're right. It's teaching people how to use it. How can you 
use it for your advantage. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's exactly that. It's like training any assistant, right? If you were going to hire an assistant to write for you, you wouldn't just say, write this. You'd share information about your brand voice. You'd talk to them about what we do and don't do. And it's the same thing when you're using AI. You need to train it how to write like you. Mm. Um, but you also have to edit it. Like you oh, can't yeah. just grab it. In radio, we had this thing called rip and read, right? It was like, came off the... the, the Oh my God, this is how old I am. <laughs> Came off the wire and you just grabbed it and read it because you didn't have time to rewrite it. You can't do that with AI. Mm. I actually put in uh, some prompts and I said, uh, include, I was, write me a sales page for this thing here. And let me explain what this thing is. Write me a sales page and include these key sections, right? Which is what a typical sales page would have. And one of them was testimonials. It wrote testimonials for me. Oh my From like Sally in Virginia. So it just made it up. It just yeah. completely <laughs> made it up. Well, wow, that's, that's eye-opening. Yeah. And so it's so dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, the amount of misinformation that can be out there if you're not checking and rewriting and reworking this uh, communication that AI is writing for you. And ChatGPT is an amazing tool, but I think too many people are using it just... Uh, in a, such a un, universal way, mm-hmm. they're not learning the craft I agree of using AI. Oh, I so hope it Raquel, sounds like, you better be um, listening to this. It sounds like, you know, fact checking and really, you know, doing your homework and really checking things out is going to be more important than ever. you got to prompt it too. Like you, you have, do, right? you have you to have play to with the prompts. It. Yeah. You have to be but like, what I'm, I want saying, this, yeah. what I'm saying when we devour social media now, or when we, yes. when we read the, like, we're going to have to really fact check. We can't take things, not that we ever could, but you really now can't take things at base value. You're going to really have to investigate and do your own homework. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't think you ever could take it for face value. No, but I think now more than <laughs> but ever. But children, like yeah. right now logging about kids, you know, are they, they're, they're, they're sponges, you know. Oh, I heard this and this and it's like, well, that's not really true. Yeah, yeah fake no, news. No, but, you know, I saw it on YouTube. There's all these testimonials like, or... Right? Uh, stuff like that. Even like ads coming up for like shopping, let's say channels, right? And then you have... Um, all these testimonials, but then you, you check the dates. Okay, this one was like six weeks ago. This one was 36 weeks ago, but it shouldn't be like mixed with all the other. I'm like, okay, this is not a website uh, that is trusted right? because yeah. you have to check the testimonials and you have to check, you know, the facts. And I always mm-hmm. go reviews. Yeah. But with our children, like, I wonder if they're going to start using that to write essays to do oh, absolutely. all for sure. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like nothing will come out. Like, my kids have a hard time reading a script, whatever. So, uh, oh, cursive, because they don't teach it anymore, except. Yeah, yeah. but they, they don't teach it, but then they throw it on their homework and yeah. they're like, read this. And my kids are like, I don't. Yeah, it's because right? it's from like 1940, the books they're using. <laughs> and you're like, wait, you said you're not teaching this anymore, but okay. Yeah. How yeah. about on the flip side, educators using that to grade papers and grade things so, and have create a curve and create maybe a syllabus and a like geez Louise, I, I was I a blog anymore. post for somebody exactly on that like AI in education yep. and there's so many amazing things that AI is actually doing in education in order to help like recognize and help kids who are like neurodivergent in the moment get feedback mm. like it's very it's actually pretty powerful I don't know what your thought is on this but yeah I think there are a lot of like any new technology 
there's a good way to use it and a bad way to use mm-hmm. it, right? Pros and and there's, there's a lot of gray area in between, you know? I mean, we talk about kids using it to write their essays. It's difficult because they don't know how to research things any other way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now it's being integrated into Google and Bing and all of that sort of stuff. It's coming where when you go to search something, it's going to generate an answer that or, looks yeah. really easy to just copy and paste, mm-hmm. right? But this is part of... What you know, if we want to not end up in a in a really dramatic situation with this, we have to be the the advocates here. You know, parents have to be the advocates first of all, and teach kids how to use AI ethically, yeah. right? And 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 how to ask questions mm-hmm. and how to be critical in their consideration of the information that they're receiving from the internet. Mm-hmm. It's I, so important. Yeah, I feel sense. like it should be part of the school teaching as well, because as a mom, I'm 43, my kids know more about their phones and iPads and things than I do. So if schools are introducing this stuff in school, I feel like then things are put on us to teach them. However, we're not like the teacher and I don't know half of the stuff that they're doing. So how do we, you know, we can advocate for it. But like, well, maybe we should go to the PAC meeting and tell them <laughs> you shall do this, yeah. you know. But yeah, like I, I find there's a bit of disconnect what they bring home to what parents or even my mom, because my mom takes, uh, helps with the homework. It's another thing. She can't spell or read the spelling words. <laughs> English is not her first language. It's not her language. So it's, it's quite funny to get so frustrated. Um, but yeah, like, so if I had to go and work, and my children have some homework online, she has no clue. Mm-hmm. So there's a big gap between what is being taught and what is expected for us to know. I feel for the educators because mm-hmm. technology is moving so fast. Yeah. AI hasn't been around that long. Mm-hmm. It, it is almost impossible for them to stay ahead of it. Right. You know, the the rest of the industries can barely stay ahead of it. And that's why you have some of the top minds in technology saying, Red flag, everybody. Government, hello, pay attention. This is really dangerous. This is going too fast. You have to, you have to pay attention here and we need legislation. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And like with educators, like we don't actually in our school system teach educators anything to do with technology. And I think it was mm. parent in COVID when like I had so many teacher friends in Vancouver who would who panicked at having to move online because they'd never done a Zoom meeting. They'd never used a messenger, like, uh, you know, yeah. none of it. And it was like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do this. <laughs> and it's because the job has not been taught that that's any part of it. So mm-hmm. it's got to catch up somehow. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the danger is in education, people are learning information that is proven. It's in books, it's history, it's facts, it's scientifically tested, all of that kind of stuff. And there's been time for that to to be verified. Mm -hmm. What's coming out of AI is not verified, right? right? You have to remember all of the information has been gathered from what exists on the internet. And as we know, not everything on the internet is factual. And so you have to be really careful that what you're getting back isn't the repurposing of misinformation, right? And so that's the other piece of, you know, when we talk about being ethical and using AI, it's not taking things at face value, right? To the point where I will take any piece of content that's been written by AI and I will plug chunks of it into Google to see if there's a copyright violation going on here, right? Smart idea. Because 
it's very possible that if you ask a specific enough question, AI is just going to bring you the response from someone else's blog mm-hmm. or sales Book page or, or what or testimonials. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like yeah. I'm sure Sally from Virginia actually gave someone a testimonial. <laughs> yeah. Just wasn't just me. Just wasn't for you. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Right? Yeah. So this is where we have to really question is this valid? Can I stand behind this? Is this my own unique idea? And how can I make it my own unique idea? Yeah, and build and maybe just take the principles and build on it. Right. So maybe that will be the work of the the generation now is to just be great fact checkers and to, well, there will be an amount of learning and education in that. Even if AI produces something, it's going through and doing the um, editing, I guess, and the fact checking and the, you know, the responsibility ethical side of it maybe. But there has to be room for new critical thinking, right? We need to be able to develop. And this is where, when we talk about the education system, this is where they need to step up because it's going to be really easy for kids to regurgitate information, right? It's going to be, it has been a problem for years that kids are just Googling papers and just, you know, rewriting it enough. Now AI will rewrite it for them. But that's not teaching them how to actually develop an an argument, right? Come up or with a think hypothesis, for think for themselves, yeah. elevate an idea, yeah, right? Innovate. So we're really at risk of, for lack of a better term, becoming mush brains. Truly, I'm feel like we're truly already making that way there. Okay, so yeah, I want to know too. Like, and maybe no one else will care about this, but like, how <laughs> do you see this like mass producing of content that's coming from? AI, how is this affecting SEO? Like, I want to know your thoughts on that. I think it's going to be a big problem. Yeah. I think it's going to be a huge problem. And this is this is going to be, um, it's everything's going to be amped up, right? So where we are now with the volume of content that we have on the internet, add like exponentially more content. And so that's what's going to be necessary for SEO is to keep up. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, it's going to be really hard for your website to build any kind of authority. But do you think Google's going to punish? Google is absolutely paying punishing. attention to this kind of thing. And in fact, um, I was uh, watching a video from a guy who was doing a bunch of testing with SEO and AI. And he was publishing 17 articles a day on his website. Because of course, AI was just pumping it out for him, right? Mm-hmm. So he's just publishing, 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 publishing. Yeah. And Google shut him down. Google, like his, he dropped completely in his authority rank because they realized this isn't a person, right? Yeah. Right. This is a machine. This is a bot. Like the the algorithms, as much as anyone who's in marketing will complain about the algorithms, yeah. but the algorithms do work in some ways where Google is constantly trying to find the humanness of content, right? right? That's where, and this is such a critical piece personal stories. When we include personal stories that can't be replicated by AI, then we have unique content because nobody can replicate our lived experience. So when we have stories, which is what's so great about your podcast, right? Like people are coming on, they're talking about their real lives, talking about their real stories, they're sharing experiences that can't be replicated. Right. I mean, it might be because, you know, your transcript will be online and then someone's going <laughs> to rip it. And then, you know, suddenly AI is going to have it out there in 10 different places. <laughs> but but the reality is this is the number one way for me in terms of what I think about content. The number one way people are going to stand out is to incorporate those stories. We have to keep our personality in our mm-hmm. personal content. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. 
There you go. Jeez, we're on the precipice of all I guess we're already there. almost wrapped up. We've really covered a lot here. <laughs> but uh, okay, like just, we usually do rapid fire at the end. So I guess my question for you is, you know, what is one of the biggest learning experiences you've had to date as an entrepreneur? That's the rapid fire question. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that feels like a whole other That's episode. Whole episode. <laughs> um, you know what? Failing is is hard, but necessary. Mm. I like it. So interesting because our last um, guest said something about failure too. And then what um, if you go back and tell, you know, your younger self something, what would you tell them? You know yourself. Ooh, I like it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And where can everybody find you, Valerie, if they're looking for you? ValerieMcTavish.com. Okay. <laughs> Love simple, that. Simple, simple. Okay. Well, All thank right. you so much for being Thanks, here. Thanks, Val, My pleasure. for coming in and your wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. Okay. Till next time, Till ladies. next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. Now we want to hear from you. So tell us what's going on in your world. What's what's working? What's not working? How we can support you? What are some good topics? And don't forget to follow us at Let's Not Sugarcoat It Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time. Bye. Bye. See you.